Good morning. morning. We're getting back into a study in Matthew's Gospel, and this series will continue on through the next couple of months. It's good to be in Matthew's Gospel. I've appreciated the time looking into this over the past while. This morning, I want to think a little bit with you about the value of your soul. This is something the Lord addresses here in this portion of God's Word. Uh, The Lord encourages us to think about how he evaluates a soul. But in this particular chapter, I think the Lord is challenging us to think about how you and I value our souls. The value of a soul. What is the value of a life? The question is, is perhaps put to us by the Lord himself in this chapter where he raises this question, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? A lot of people in our society today who have the odd responsibility of actually putting a monetary value on life seems strange to us and perhaps odd that we would do that. We tend to think of life as being invaluable, but there are those who actually have to think about the value of life. Medical ethicists struggle with this. Insurance industry actually evaluates the value of a life, and, and uh, governments have to think about this sometimes. <clears throat> think about, for example, first responders. The fire chief arrives at the scene, and the house is ablaze, and he's told there's still people in the building who need to be rescued. But he assesses that the floors are about to collapse. Does he send his firefighters into that building to rescue the people that he knows are there? There is an evaluation that needs to take place. And people think about the value of life. We tend to think about the value of life sometimes from time to time a little bit. And we, we long for longer life. We'd like to see life prolonged. I read an article in a journal, the New Statesman, a British journal, uh, this week. Article was from October 2021, and it claimed that the aging, the anti-aging biotech industry, is a 610 billion dollar industry annually. 610 billion dollars is spent on this. Uh, this anti-aging industry. The article described this as um, finding a cure for aging. So aging is a disease, and there is a cure available somehow for it. And this uh, money is spent because people have a value to life, and they want to see it extended and prolonged. The verse that's in front of you, or that section of that verse that's in front of you, actually doesn't use the word life, at least not in the translation I was giving. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The reality is that when we leave this place, there is nothing that you can give to get your life back. There is no amount of money that you can hand over that will bring you back to life when you are gone. And generally speaking, when our time comes to the end, We are gone. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? There is nothing that one can give in exchange for his soul. 
The word soul here is an interesting one. It's one interesting to me because it's a word in the original Greek, the word soul translated in our English as soul is, uh, is a word that we have borrowed and brought into English language. It's, it's the word psyche, Greek word psyche. Uh, the normal word for life in Greek, as I understand it, by the way, I don't claim to be a Greek scholar. I do appreciate very much reading what others have written about it, and that's where I gain some insight is by looking at what other people have said. But the normal word for life would be zoe in, in Greek, referring to typical life of, of animals and plants and human beings. But here the word psyche is is used, and it implies something more than just these physical lives that we have implies that there is something beyond just our physical existence. It, it speaks to that inner person that is within us. And the Lord uses this word, he presupposes that his listeners had some understanding that there is something more than the physical existence, that there is something within us that is of value. And as much as we human beings tend to place great emphasis on the value of our human lives, our physical existence. And as much as people spend billions of dollars in seeking to extend these physical lives, the Lord points out to us that there's something that is far more valuable than that. It's our souls. What is the value of a soul? For all the energy and effort that we put into making our physical lives comfortable, um, growing our investments and, and uh, establishing our home and having our vacations and our trips abroad, as much money and effort and energy as we put into making these physical lives comfortable, the Lord would cause us to pause for a moment and say, what are you doing? about your soul. What is the value of your soul? There is little that we can do to impact the span of our physical life. There are a few things that we can do that might extend it a few years if we look after ourselves. There's not a whole lot we can do. We might add five years, maybe 10. We take care of ourselves. But the soul has infinite value. The soul goes on for eternity. And there is much that we can do, the Bible teaches us, that will impact the well-being of our souls. And that's what the Lord is speaking about. It all starts, I'd suggest to you, with a little phrase that the Lord uses. It all starts with following him. It all starts with, with this. Jesus said, come after me. Come after me. It all starts there. Let's look in chapter 16 of Matthew's Gospel at a few verses. We're just going to look primarily at the last few verses of this chapter. 
I did speak a little bit about the middle section of the chapter a couple of weeks ago on a Tuesday night. I'm not going to go back to that, but we'll look primarily at the end of the chapter. And I'm going to read from verse 24. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to look at it with me. There's a few Bibles under the seat if you don't have one or if it's not on your phone or tablet. Chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his works. And we'll stop there. Many years I read this passage and only thought about it in terms of uh, its gospel application. The Lord speaking to those who are not followers of his and encouraging them to come to follow him. I thought about it in, in terms of those who have not taken the step of deciding to take Jesus as their Lord and Savior and the Lord's appeal to them. And that if, if they fail to do so, they lose their soul. I thought about it in terms of, of people around the world who go about life as if all that it consists of is achieving and attaining things here on this earth to make ourselves well, physically. And the Lord calling out to say, come to me and follow me. I think that application is clearly here. And it's interesting to note that the Lord uses the word lose in this passage three times. We read it twice in verse 25. And the word lose in verse 25, where we read it two times, is taken from a word which means to utterly destroy. And we can destroy our souls by refusing to follow the Lord and by seeking all of the wealth and prosperity and well-being in this world, neglecting our souls. It will destroy them. But there's another word that's used for lose in verse 26, where it talks about a prophet the man would gain and gaining the whole world but losing his soul. And that word this time is a different word. The word lose there is the word that means that we can bring harm to, that we can cause uh, damage to our souls. I want to suggest to you today that this passage has an application for those of you who are sitting here today who, who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This passage is application to the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this at the beginning of verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, he is addressing this word to those who are already followers of him, to those who have followed him along the path. He gathers them together and he tells them about the value of their souls. 
he is addressing believers. And so we can think a little bit about what it means to come after Christ, to come after Christ. Think about it in terms of those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this mean to come after Christ? Well, it's speaking to anyone, anyone who desires to come after Christ. And so not just those who are uh, looking to see if they can learn something about Christ, but also to those, you and I today, if you're here and have put your faith in Christ, who've made a decision to follow him. It's to anyone who desires to come after me. That's who the Lord is addressing in these comments. Think about the next word, if anyone desires to come after me. This word desire is a word that's fairly common in the text of the Greek New Testament. The original word for desire here is a word that is most often translated as will. If anyone wills to come after me, it implies that there is a decision of the mind. There is a resolve that has been made about 50 years ago. In fact, just over 50 years ago, I stepped into a, a tank like this one that's behind me, a baptismal tank, not here in this place, but in another church. And I, 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 by doing that, went into this water of baptism as a public declaration of a decision that I had previously made. I wanted all to know that I had made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I had made a decision to come after him, and I was making it known publicly. And I know there are many of you here today who have done the same. Some of you just a couple of weeks ago stepped into this tank and publicly declared that you had made a decision to follow Christ. And whether you have been baptized or not, if you have made that decision to follow Christ, then this passage is speaking to you. You are one who has a desire or has a, uh, who has made known a desire, a will, a decision to follow Jesus Christ, to come after him. And so we are challenged, and I am challenged. When I think about my baptism, I am challenged as I think about the decision that I made to follow Christ. I'm challenged by this passage to think about what I am doing for the well-being of my soul, the soul that has such high value and ought to in our lives. It is a decision to come after me. This, this, this expression, come after, means to follow in behind. It quite literally means to get in back of, to step into line behind the Lord. The Lord goes on ahead, and the decision that we have made to follow him is a decision to get in behind him and to follow him in his footsteps along his way. When he goes forward, we go forward. When he turns to the left, we turn to the left. This is what this means. To follow in his steps, to get into line. It's a different word that is used a little later in this verse. 
when it says that we will take up a cross and follow him, it's a word that means to come in behind, to follow after. This passage tells us that whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will find it. If we will commit our lives to following him, we will find true life. That's where the soul will be built up and edified and established in following after Christ. I want to look at just a verse, I'll put it up on the screen, two verses from Hebrews that I think tie into this very well. And take a minute to read this. It's on the screen, but I'll read it for you. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a couple of key words in this passage I want to think about. I've put them on highlight on the screen. There is this race that we're running. <coughs> the Lord has gone before us, and we're running a race after him. It's an endurance race. And we are to follow him. It's a path that we are to follow. The word author translated here in this text might be different than in the translation you're reading from. So my understanding is it's a difficult word to translate from the original Greek into English, and that's evidence of that is that there are a multitude of different words that are used in different translations of the Bible to convey the meaning of this word. Some of you might have in your Bibles that he is the founder of faith. Others say the pioneer or the leader or the source or the originator, the champion of faith. The word is used once uh, in another location in the book of Hebrews where it's translated as captain and twice in the book of Acts we find it and it's translated as prince. The word is a word which implies that he has gone on before. One commentator described it as that he is the trailblazer, as it were. Someone who goes out and clears the way for others to follow. And so pioneer kind of gives that, that idea. He is the first to have gone, and he is leading the way, and he has cleared the way so that those who come behind can follow in a path that's clear and true. He is the author of our faith, and that he is the leader. And so the verse conveys the same idea that we are to follow on behind. We are to come after him who is the leader of our faith. And he is the finisher of our faith. He is the goal, some translators will have, the goal of our faith. And if we're running this race, we're looking to the goal. We're looking to him. He is the one ahead of us. And we, when he speeds up, we speed up to follow him. We come after him if we want 
to provide for our souls and establish our souls, improve the condition of our souls, benefit our souls. We come after him. So let's pause for just a moment and think. Do we want to come after the Lord? Is that something we want to do? The commitment that I made to follow the Lord so many years ago is often blurred through the history of the years that have gone by in my mind. And I have to admit and acknowledge that sometimes the energy has waned. The desire perhaps has lessened a little bit. But I committed to follow the Lord, and so did you. And the Lord tells me here that for the well-being of my soul, which is of such great value, I need to follow him. I need to stay close behind him. He has gone on before. <clears throat> I need to follow in his path. Are you committed to coming after the Lord? There is so much gain to be had by coming after the Lord. I want to think about what it means then, or what, what uh, is involved in coming after the Lord. Part two, we thought a bit about what does it mean to come after Christ. Let's think about what is involved in coming after Christ. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The Lord anticipates three obstacles, if he would, to those who would come after him. And he speaks to these in this verse. The first obstacle is this, that the cost is high. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, it says. Coming after the Lord involves denial of self. I was interested to read a couple of commentators, one by the name of William Barclay, another William MacDonald. Both of them made a distinction between denying yourself and self-denial. We often uh, engage in self-denial. Uh, self-denial for a period of time, maybe to achieve some good in our life. We often think about it in terms of diet, for example. We want to better ourselves, and so for a period of time, we'll take some steps, or perhaps we want to be engaged in some good effort, and so for a period of time we, we deny ourselves certain things in order to accomplish some goal, some objective. But denying self is, is different in the way that the Lord presents it. I'll, I'll just read this definition I appreciated from William Barclay. He said, to deny oneself means in every moment of life to say no to self and to say yes to God. To deny oneself means finally and for all to dethrone self and enthrone God. To deny oneself means to obliterate self as the dominant principle of life and to make God the ruling principle and passion of life. 
The life of constant self-denial is the life of constant ascent to God. And so as I think about this, I have to ask who is on the throne in my life. From my youth, I remember this illustration about putting God on the throne in your life. But, but I'm challenged this week as I read it again to ask whether I put God first. Am I active in service of God through the service of his people and others around me? Or am I primarily concerned with looking after the things that are important in my physical life for myself, for my own good? If I want to nurture my soul, I need to deny self and be actively involved in the service of God, recognizing that he is my Lord, my Lord. And I'm to follow him, and I'm to serve him, not myself. It is through losing our lives that we gain value for our souls. William MacDonald said this, to deny self means to yield to his control so completely that self has no rights whatsoever. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 6, we read this, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Deny self. The second obstacle to coming after Christ is that the way is hard. The way is hard. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Take up his cross. The cross is related to sacrifice. The cross speaks to us of a price that has to be paid. The cross means that there is, for the Christian, a life of sacrificial service to the Lord. Giving up things that we might want or like in order to serve instead. Following Christ, coming after him, comes at a cost. It, 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 it involves an expense. It, it requires a willingness to endure physical loss or pain or expense, perhaps lost opportunity, perhaps ridicule. The early Christians to whom the gospel would have been initially written and who read it in the first place were called upon to, to give up their lives as martyrs, many of them, in following after Christ. The way is hard. And it involves serving others. It involves expenditure expenditure of our lives, expenditure of our time, expenditure of our energy and our effort, pouring out of our lives. 
When Luke recounts this in his synoptic account of this event, he adds one little word to this phrase, take up your cross daily and follow him. This isn't something you do once for all time. It isn't something you do and then it's looked after. But day by day, sacrificial service. So we take up our cross and follow him. A third obstacle that the Lord anticipates is this, that the training is demanding. It says, take up your cross and follow me. Follow after the Lord. Take up your cross and follow me. We are to be imitators of the Lord. The word that's used here is a word that that implies uh, discipleship. It's a word that's used in association with those who seek to follow somebody like the way that followers uh, continued after rabbis in their day. They became disciples of that rabbi. They became associated with him and they followed him. The idea here is that we do what Christ has done. When I was a kid, we used to play a little game called Simon Says. Some of you might relate to that. I don't know if you're old enough, you might think about that. Simon Says, do this. Simon Says, do that. That's usually foolish, little silly things, <coughs> different actions. And so the leader would do those things and the rest in the group would follow and do the exact things that the leader did. Well, those were all kind of silly things. The Lord calls us to do things that aren't silly. He calls us to do things that are serious. Things sometimes that are challenging, sometimes that are difficult. But as Christ did, so are we to do. Following Christ means that we are his disciples, his followers, and that we strive to do the things that he did. Again, from my youth, I remember the little bracelet that many wore. Some of you might relate to this too. What would Jesus do? WWJD. I don't know if that's still around, but it was a thing in my day. A reminder that we need to guard our minds and to evaluate our actions on the basis of the fact that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and think about what he would do and how he would act and the way that he would respond. That's what it means to come after Christ. The training is demanding. The discipleship is demanding. But the Lord also gives some encouragements to us. Let's think about three encouragements to close. Three encouragements that the Lord gave to strengthen our resolve in following him. The first comes to us from uh, chapter 10 in Matthew's gospel. I put this verse up. The prophet is great. And in Matthew 10, we read, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. <clears throat> the prophet is great. We can gain a lot by following the Lord. I use the word prophet there intentionally, and some might think it's kind of a secular word to be using in the context, but I used it intentionally because it's the word that, that's used in our passage here in chapter 16 of Matthew's Gospel, where the Lord says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The insinuation of that I'd suggest to you 
is that just as seek, people seek profit in this world and physical gain in this world, there is a, a contrasting profit to be had in seeking the Lord and seeking his work. There is great gain to be had in following the Lord. Our souls are enriched by following closely after the Lord. He who finds his life will lose it. The Lord is there saying the same thing that he says in our passage. Those who seek to find their life in this world, who go after material gain, do so at the risk of losing their soul. Or at the very least, if they're believers in damaging their soul doing detriment to their soul. But those who will lose their life in this world will find life in, in their soul. They will enrich their souls. So much to gain. Our gain in following after the Lord is not just in an age to come, but our gain is also in this world, in this time, where we live here. If we want to find true fulfillment in life, if we want to find joy and peace in this life, can I suggest to you that we don't find it in the boats and the cars and the homes and the bank accounts and the stocks and the bonds. We find it in giving ourselves to serve others, in giving ourselves to serve the Lord, in coming after Christ, in following behind him. We find great gain in this life and in the one to come. So the second encouragement that he gives us here is that the company is esteemed. In verse 27 of our chapter, he says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, Son of man will come in the glory. The Lord is returning again. And we read in scripture that he is going to come back with those who have believed in him. They're going to come with him. As we seek to follow the Lord, we're in the good company. We, be, we looked briefly at Hebrews chapter 12 and a few verses that follow. In, the, in that passage we read about the uh, company that proceeds all of those examples men and women of faith in hebrews chapter 11 who went on to follow the lord to seek the lord to seek their god to serve their god who exercised faith the lord is coming back with his angels his angels the lord's angels are coming with him to take those who are his own we are in esteemed company. And of course, all of that is insignificant compared to the presence of the Lord himself. To be with the Lord, to come under the shadow of his wings, we were thinking about in the earlier service. To be in the boat with him, as we were thinking earlier about. <coughs> You're in good company with the Lord. 
Third encouragement is this. The reward is eternal. The Lord says, Son of man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his works. The Word of God speaks much about the rewards of following Jesus Christ. Rewards that enhance our souls. Do we value our souls? If we value our souls, we need to be looking to these rewards, to these results, rather than looking around the world to see what we can gain for our comfort and for our physical prosperity here. There are rewards. Matthew speaks a lot about this in the Sermon on the Mount where he reminds us that we are wise to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven rather than treasures here on earth. He talks about all of these attitudes that we ought to have, the Beatitudes, and tells us that there is reward for that. There is blessing by taking on these attitudes, the attitudes of Christ and following after him. There is reward for the suffering that we endure, chapter 5 and verse 10. There is reward for our service. There is reward for loving those who are our enemies and praying for those who are our persecutors, chapter 5, verses 43 and 46, taking on the attitude of Christ. There is reward for directing our faith towards God and not towards the world outwardly, in our prayers and our fasting and the alms that we give and the things that we do as we direct them towards the Lord in service of him, there is great reward. There is great reward even in the little things. Giving a cup of, of water <coughs> to one of these children, Matthew chapter 10 and 42, God promises a reward as we do it in the service of Christ. What is the value of your soul. John, in his second epistle, warns us about this. He says, look to yourselves that you do not lose those things we worked for, for what we will, for, but that we will receive a full reward. What value do you place on your soul? How much attention do you give to it? How much energy and effort do you put into the care of your soul? You can gain the world and lose your soul. Or you can lose the world and gain your soul. One has temporary, transient value, 
and not much of it at that. But the other has eternal value. If you have made a decision in your life to come after Christ, then these are the things that are involved in that decision. These are the things that we need to keep at the top of our minds. Denial of self, taking up our cross, and following him. He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it, the Lord says. We do not have to wait until the next life to experience the blessings of God in our soul. He longs to give them to us now. He came that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. I want to go back and close with the verse from Hebrews that follows the one that we read earlier, Hebrews 12 and verse 3. We read verses 1 and 2. Here's some encouragement for us. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The Lord went forward to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He did it at great cost, knowing that the soul has great value. Your soul and my soul. Do we recognize the value of that soul? Do we recognize the value of our own soul? Father, we pray that you would impress upon us the importance of following after Christ, of coming after him. We pray that you would convict our minds and our hearts, each one of us that is present here today, that has made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that each of us here today, and preeminently myself, would understand and be convicted of the importance of nurturing the soul in ways that you have described that we can do, in ways that you have provided your spirit to strengthen us in these things. Lord, we pray that you would help us to follow closely after our Savior, that as he steps forward, we would step forward, that he's moved to the right or to the left, that we would follow close behind, faithful to our Lord and active in service of him. And we recognize that this alone is what has eternal value for our souls. Help us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.